I want to share from the 23rd Psalm today. When I uh, was praying about what to share this week, um, immediately that psalm came to mind. And quite honestly, the psalms that I know best or the passages I know best, I probably like the least to speak from just because um, they're so familiar that you're kind of going, well, everybody knows this. We're going to hit it anyway. Uh, Saturday, it was interesting. We were praying for City Fest, and uh, Chuck Tuman apparently has been in this psalm for three weeks, and so he was telling me, th- or praying things that he had found, and I'm going, well, I just need to take some notes here. <laughs> but it was good. Um, let's start out. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The old translations used to say, I shall not want. This is probably the very first psalm that I memorized, and that would have been back in grade school. And in that, um, this psalm always had a problem for me, or a couple of them. Uh, what do you mean, not want? There's a lots of things I want, and I don't always get what I want. And, and so that was, that was the first issue. The second issue is there's this declaration. This is the the Lord is my shepherd psalm, and yet there's a second picture in here of a feast and then spending time in the house of the Lord, and I don't think he was talking about sheep in that moment. And for me, who likes everything neat and tidy, it just didn't work very well. And so even as I'm memorizing it as a kid, I'm going, this thing's got some problems. But... What I want to share is that David understood all the connectors, and yet he was still saying, God leads and directs my life. He provides for me, and he blesses me. And if we can grab on to that, it's extremely valuable. Um, I had a, a, a cousin who passed away this week. He was a year older than I am. We spent a lot of time together in our childhood. And then a number of our adult years were lived in the same community as well, and we spent a great deal of time together. And uh, he was a pituitary dwarf, so real short for a number of years. And then uh, he, was, he got some of the first pituitary treatments out of San Francisco when he was about 30, and so he grew, I think, a foot and a half, if I remember right. But um, that said, he, it, he always wanted to get married. Really wanted to get married. Didn't happen. And you're going, God is still good in his life, even though this heart desire was not fulfilled. That's the challenge when we read a passage like this. Do I trust God? and his faithfulness enough to believe that when things don't turn out the way that I expect or want, that he's still in this and he's good and he truly is directing my life. Uh, Now, you know, like with Mark, my my cousin, um, he, there were were issues involved. First, you know, the dwarfism, it, it built in him a tenacity that tried a lot of things. 
you could not tell him no when you were together, particularly as kids, because he would just insist on doing things. Uh, one, <laughs> my brother and his friends had, had found that you could climb pine trees and slide down on the outside if you grabbed branches on the way down. And so, you know, when you're in northern Minnesota as a boy, there's not that much to do, and so that's what you end up going out in the woods and finding a big pine tree and sliding your way down the outside. That's high excitement. Um, and Mark had come along with us, and I'm telling him, don't do this, don't do this. And, of course, he had to try it. And the next thing I know, he's hurtling like a rock right down through the middle of the tree. And so we bring him home. He's crying. I get in trouble again. Uh, but that tenacity pushed him to do marathons. He wasn't a, a particularly good athlete. In fact, he's the kind that they would try to force off the course at the end, but he would just refuse, and he'd finish anyway. He got into mountain climbing at one point and uh, did a lot of mountains, and most of us just look at the pictures. Got into karate. You know, that tenacity carried him through life, and then he had the added complication of when you suddenly grow in your 30s and you go through puberty and you also lose your identity as a dwarf and have to, to acknowledge that you look like everyone else, but you're not. All that complicated his life, and yet God was good in his life. At the end, he was studying passages on the resurrection, and quite honestly, I, I, I had an experience that I'm not sure how to even deal with, because the day that he died, I had a distinct impression of him and going, I wonder how his soul is. And I was, you know, and I'm, I didn't know that this is before I even heard anything. And so I, I don't know how to process that, but I I, I do know that he had been studying resurrection passages for a number of weeks, and I was very relieved to hear that. Um, so, you know, my desire or my wants, uh, not all that I want or desire is beneficial or appropriate because a lot of that is rooted in selfishness or lack of of uh, foresight or ability to see all the factors involved. And so regularly through life, I've wanted things that really weren't appropriate. And, you know, now that's not to put judgment on anyone else or anything else, but we all have to evaluate those things, right? And to sort them out. So that said, I want to note that David, who wrote this, isn't just writing from a simple lifestyle. He understood the complications of life. He understood that there were difficulties, even though he's saying, God is my shepherd and he's guiding me. For he was a shepherd himself. And so he understood the whole process of trying to do things that would benefit uh, his flock. And he knew it wasn't simple. In fact, um, he made the comment to Saul when he was getting ready to fight Goliath. He goes, um, I... Uh, when a bear or a lion came after the flock, 
he chased them down, and I would take it back. And if it resisted, I would kill it. Grab it by the beard. And you're kind of going, whoa, that's crazy. But that's, that's an, a complication, right? And that's not a simple thing. Jacob, when he was talking about um, shepherding, he, he made the comedy, he said, I was cooking during the day, or basically. He said, heat got to me. It was intense, and yet I, I couldn't leave it. And at night, it half froze to death. And yet, you know, he's saying, I, I couldn't sleep either. You, you know, when, when the flock's most vulnerable, you, you can't spend all your time sleeping. So he's going, it wasn't a simple life. And yet he's making this declaration, God was overseeing and caring and, and directing me. The, the loneliness and the isolation would be intense in those times. When, when we go over to Malawi, we watch the, the boys goat herding. And I assume that watching a flock in those days would have been much the same. You sort of guide them into good places, but you're also having to run ahead and and click them so that they get off in the right direction or the one that's slowed down has got to be sped up and you know so that it, it wasn't necessarily simple but he's still recognizing that there's a benefit to all of this that's good for the flock um, Jesus added to the, the the idea of the dangers when he says there are thieves You've got to watch out for them. And then he also says that uh, wolves want to come and take. So, I mean, there were there are a lot of things that, that could have brought trouble. And even the lack of cooperation where the one gets lost, Jesus was saying, the shepherd's going to go out and find him. He's not going to leave him. He's just going to go after this. And so, again, having that picture and still saying, God is my shepherd, it, it's this idea that, he is guiding and directing my life, even though it's not all going simple. In fact, at times it's very complex and difficult. Romans 5 has this. Not only this, but we rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in, out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So Paul even conveys this idea yeah, it's complicated, there's difficulties, but it's still for good. Jesus in John 10 says, I'm the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. He also says, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me. Earlier in that chapter he says, they follow him because they recognize his voice regarding the shepherd. So in that sense... There's something in us that needs to be willing to respond when God speaks into our heart. There's something in us that needs to cultivate that awareness that if we're truly following God, we need to be listening. We need to be willing to hear what he's got to say, and then we're going to walk in that. And so it isn't just, well, God does this for me, and he does that for me. No, we follow him. That's part of the picture. And we listen for his voice, and we know his voice when we hear it. And so in a sense, part of the task of life is cultivating 
that awareness of when God's speaking to us. That awareness of when we're reading the scripture and something comes alive and saying, okay, this has application for me. I need to respond to this. Or when we're praying and there's that sense of, I need to be aware of this. And I need to be willing to adjust with it. Let's go on. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the paths, right paths for the sake of his reputation. So again, David's drawing a picture and he says, of the shepherd, he takes me to the places that are best for me. So again, contrast that with wants and desires to the willingness to say, yes, he is my shepherd and he is taking me to the best places. He's taking me to where the food is best. He's taking me to where the water is best. And he allows me to be refreshed. And so when we're looking about life, this temptation to get into despair, despondency, depression, that's in a sense a, a lack of belief or commitment to this awareness that God does guide and protect, right? That he does lead us into good places. At times we have to pray out and say, God, help me to understand this now. Help me to understand why this isn't going the way that I think it should. Help me to trust you that you are faithful even in this. It's very similar to Jesus in the parable of the, the vine saying, it's to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit. It's like for a gardener, you know, this time of year, people are beginning to show off you know, the pictures of produce, right? It's to their glory to have something to show. You know, if, if your garden is just weeds and there's nothing growing, you don't spend a lot of time telling people, come look at my garden. You know, it's only if it's weed-free and things are popping out all over and you're going, oh, yeah, yeah, it just kind of grows on its own. You know, you just seem to have a green thumb. No, there's a certain pride in that. And, and, it's, and Jesus is saying it's to the Father's glory for that kind of thing. And it's to a shepherd's glory that his flock does well. And so in the same way, God is honored when we flourish. And so his intent is to allow that to take place in our lives. Beneficial provision. And it goes on. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. In the old translation, it was, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And there's that awareness at times there are dangers and things that aren't really working for us. The dangers abound. And the question is, do I trust that he's got this under control even so? Now, here's a changing of the picture. Now, some, some will say that even the anointing with oil is something that shepherds would do with sheep. I have no clue. Um, in fact, I don't care. But um, I, I do catch the, the picture of a feast, so to speak. And the... Um, they used to use oil because the skin would get so dried out. 
and yet uh, it says, You prepare a feast for me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. So in this changing of imagery, it's like there's a banquet scene, and enemies are forced to watch, but they can't stop it. And it's a good time. And it's like, I'm getting to enjoy this even though others don't want good to happen for me. It's kind of... Um, when, when you chew on that for a while, it's like no one can hinder God's blessing for your life. No one has the ability to step in and destroy the work of God and stop it from accomplishing what he wants. We're quick to look at others. If they had helped me a little more, I've gotten this done, right? If they've been there for me, they wouldn't even respond to my call. They didn't care. And so I gave up. Well, <laughs> that's not a worthwhile excuse, according to this text. Protection and blessing are independent of others despite their desire or their disruptive capabilities. Sometimes people are just uncaring. They're selfish in themselves, and they don't care whether you do well or not. That's not going to hinder the work of God from accomplishing what he wants in your life. It just means that your life is unique, and you're going to have to deal with that. The other side is that some people are intentionally malicious at times, and that is not going to hinder the work of God either. David knew enemies. You know, we're not used to defining people or things as enemies. That's just not a part of our culture. But David knew enemies. Um, when I was looking at this, you prepare a feast for before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. One of the pictures that came back to me was that when Samuel went to anoint a new king, what took place? He went to the house of Jesse, and he said, let's, let's have a feast. And he was told that he was going to anoint a new king. And David wasn't even invited to the party. All the other brothers marched through the line, and Samuel's going, uh-uh, uh-uh. Seven of them. Don't you have any more? Yeah, well, there's the littlest one. He's out watching the flock. So he didn't even get invited, and yet God fulfilled his plan for him and the destiny that they had for him in calling him into the feast and then anointing his head with oil and blessing him in that moment. Now, unless you think all the other brothers were happy about this, remember when, when David goes to take care of Goliath? And his brother, his oldest brother, Eliab's going, you're so conceited, just shut up and go home. You know, take care of that little flock of yours. And uh, that wasn't too uplifting, right? Wasn't encouraging at all. And yet David went through that, and he dealt with an enemy 
in Goliath. He also ran from Saul for probably 10 years, even though he was anointed as the next king. So, you know, that conflict continued. During that time, he's also fighting the Philistines. He's fighting the Amalekites. Even when he becomes king, it doesn't happen right away, and so Israel's divided, and he's got to fight his own folks. Then when the kingdom's united, he's still going to deal with Absalom and others that cause insurrection. So, you know, you look at that and go, he knew enemies. But he still was able to say, your plans are good, and they can't be thwarted by those who are looking or those who are attempting to. If you grab onto that, it sure helps your outlook toward others. The, the ability to quit blaming, my life would be so much better if it had, you know, I wouldn't have known you. <laughs> no, that's not fair. And it's certainly not the shepherd picture. The final picture in this uh, scene is, Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days, and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. Again, for me, particularly as a kid, the thought of living in church forever and ever just... (laughs) That didn't have much appeal. Um, But it is possible that David was even looking ahead to living with God forever. I mean, the picture in Revelation 21, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, and it talks about the new Jerusalem descending, and this statement is made, look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And and the very hope of our lives is spending eternity with God and in his house. John chapter 14, Jesus is having the last supper with the disciples and he's getting ready to leave. And he's going, my father's house has many rooms. There's like many apartments. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I would have told you. But I'm going to come back again. You may be with me. You know, what is that? It's the same picture as this 23rd Psalm. Living with the Father. for Just like the beginning with Adam and Eve and God coming in the cool of the evening and walking with them. There's a picture of hope, of a, of a relationship and a dimension that we have never known in this life. So just, just in summary... David understood trouble and difficulty, yet he trusted God for direction. And he trusted that as he followed, the best things designed for his life and his destiny would take place. He looked to a future of living with God. So for us, there's a lot of complexities of life. But the challenge is to say, yes, I follow him. I trust his leadership. I trust his faithfulness. I believe that he will provide good for me, that his blessing will abound in my life as I do so. 
Father, we thank you for your scripture that speaks life. We thank you for some of these psalms that have been with us for years. I pray that you'll help us to fully apply it, Lord, where we trust you for direction. We trust that we can know your voice and follow you. We trust that you will lead us into pleasant places that are best for our lives. And we trust that you will bring us to a place where we can live with you forever. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of prayer, and we'll come back and worship later. Um, there will be an offering during the second worship set. I want to mention just a couple things to you. Um, in regard to City Fest, we're still looking for a location here in Marquette. That's the bad news. The good news is that the Sunday that that's after uh, City Fest, the 16th of August, uh, Sanctus Real will be doing the service here. So that should be kind of fun. So uh, it's fun, the right thing to say for church. That should be a real blessing. <laughs> It'll be fun, too. <laughs> so. And then uh, um, I, I like to make mention uh, some of the friends that we have in Malawi. Um, there's a couple things going on right now. Yellow fever, Michael was saying, is in the country. That's a very dangerous thing. Uh, you don't recover from it. Um, and the vaccines are dangerous as well. Um, so just be aware and pray for them if you would. Also, um, last year when Char or, yeah, last year when Char and I were there, uh, one of the things that we felt burdened about was that one of the churches that our friend Matthews was starting, he's starting two churches besides the kids' club and the work at Hope. Um, we had visited it, and they were needing land so that they could. Uh, build a church and uh, so we we did what was necessary for that and um, they have their land they've built a foundation I asked Matthews how much will it cost to finish this thing out $2,500 to $3,000 <laughs> it just seems impossible doesn't it but uh, that's that's the reality and uh, one of the reasons I felt it was so important, the city of Lalongway is their largest city, and it just continues to expand. And expand isn't like our ex expansion. It's like every single space is plugged. And, and so it just one little building after another every, everywhere you go. And I felt like it was really important that, that they were meeting in a community center. There's over 100 people. Um, young congregation about like this um, but I felt it important that they be able to land in that location or that area and so that's why I felt it necessary for them to get land and, and, and again land was very inexpensive in comparison but they have this thing now they need to finish this building and so if you would like to help in the, with that I'd appreciate it so just if you would earmark uh, a gift that way if, if God puts that on your heart there is need everywhere you look and you have to kind of carefully try to discern what does God want because um, there's more than any one of us can do and even in times like this you know it may tug on your heartstrings but the, the question is what does God want and I'd, I just ask you to pray 
If you'd like to participate with us, that'd be wonderful. The other night during the thunderstorm, I was, uh, the wind was uh, fairly intense, uh, near tornado style, you know, at least the noise. And uh, I was thinking how you know, on the day of Pentecost, there was a sound accompanying what was going on and, and people were rushing to hear. And I found myself praying for this group that the Holy Spirit would descend upon us. And similar to the Psalm 23, that the anointing of head with oil often, you know, in Scripture, oil is associated as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And I was praying that He would anoint our heads with oil. And then it says, the cup overflows. It's a picture of abundance. And that uh, just praying that that would spill out of our lives, the goodness of God spill out. And so, Lord, I, I just, I call on you and ask for that. I ask that your Holy Spirit would descend in this place. There'd be awareness of your power working in our hearts and minds, transforming our lives. I pray that out of the abundance, there would be a powerful move out into the community that many would come to know you. Work in our hearts, we pray. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to follow you, to know your voice, and to see your fullness in their lives. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.